Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of the Thriving Lawyers Podcast. Uh, my name is Chris Osborne. I am one of the co-hosts of this podcast. My partner, Michael Kahn, is not with us today. Uh, but I have the pleasure of interviewing and introducing, hopefully, some of you to a fantastic person who I've gotten connected with just over the last few months. Uh, our guest today is Professor Heidi Brown from the Brooklyn School of Law right in the middle of NYC. So Heidi, welcome and thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. I'm really excited to talk to you. Yes. Um, so Heidi and I actually didn't uh, know it, uh, or we didn't know each other, but we were in law school at the same time, uh, overlapped maybe by a year or something, but we ran in different circles and, and never really knew each other. And so I uh, first uh, ran across her work in a few, uh, uh, a few different places. Uh, she, as we'll talk about in a little bit, has published several books through the ABA, uh, The Introverted Lawyer, uh, and what's the exact title of the one about fear, overcoming fear in lawyering? Untangling fear in lawyering. I like the word untangle. <laughs> I like that too, yes. And we're gonna, we'll talk about that. And then her most recent book, which we're certainly going to spend some time talking about, is The Flourishing Lawyer, which I'm in the middle of reading now and uh, just decided, wow, I've got to get Heidi on here. This is just, uh, I, I think it's a fascinating book. I love that this book exists and has the content and just the vibe that it has really. And so excited to have you here, Heidi. Thank you so much for taking time. Uh, as we're recording this, the new semester is about to start up for law students everywhere in January, 2022. So a lot on your plate. Yes, but I'm excited to talk to you about things that affect our law students and the future generation of our profession. So this will be good. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So um, I wanted to uh, get folks to hear a little bit, and I'm curious again, uh, remind me. So tell me about sort of how did you first decide that you were interested in law, wanted to go to law school? How did you end up choosing where to go to law school? What was that like for you uh, at the time? Because people come at it different ways. Some people stumble into it. Some people are like, I came out, you know, wearing loafers and with a briefcase of the womb, you know, but <laughs> that that last depiction definitely was not me. So I, I tell my <laughs> students, you know, I, I joke with my students, I didn't have any really grand philosophical reason for going to law school. In fact, I used to tell my parents I wanted to be the first female orthopedic surgeon to the Washington football team because I, I was a big Washington football team fan and um, <laughs> I and I wanted to be a doctor, but I, when I was growing up, we had big St. Bernard dogs and okay. I used to go to the vet with my dad, with our giant St. Bernard dog. And every time the vet took blood from the dog, I promptly passed out. So I thought, well, I don't think I'm going to be able to be a medical doctor if I can't handle that. So it's good that you've got that experience though, to let you know. Yes, yes. I mean, I loved college. I went to the University of Virginia for undergrad and I completely loved college. I, I was a really good student in college. I studied lots of different languages. Um, I was what's called an Eccles scholar. So you can kind of put together your curriculum. You didn't have what, to. Really? Yes. What, what year did you finish actually? I graduated from UVA undergrad in 91. So I was there when there was still the Watson dorm and the yes, yes. Watson dorm. Yes. We didn't talk about this. And we made it out, but you might've known my buddy from high school, Kenny Heath. Uh, uh, I don't know if you would run across him. He was an Eccles scholar, the class after you. Oh, neat. Um, okay. I actually was admitted to be one and, and almost went, but I, my heart was kind of in Chapel Hill already, but I love oh, that yeah. program. It's so cool. It's a great program because it really gives you a lot of flexibility to to study a bunch of different things. And I did, I loved college. I, I took French and Italian. I took a semester of Russian. I took psychology classes. I took anthropology classes. 
And, and it's funny, I, I didn't end up taking any medical classes because I had <laughs> shifted my, my focus. So I applied to law school right out of college. And I graduated right. from college young. I was 21. And I oh, got wow. accepted to the University of Virginia School of Law. So I thought, oh, wow, you know, college is going to be just like undergrad, which I love. <laughs> I mean, in fact, I was even some of my same professors were teaching at the law school and wrote my recommendations. Really? Yeah, I started law school thinking it would be just like undergrad, which was not the case at all. (laughs) Yeah. Now, what would you describe as the main difference? Obviously, the Eccles lets you have the freedom to sort of design your curriculum, if I remember correctly. You can take whatever you want. So one is you got this, you are taking these classes. But what else would you say were the differences and things? That part didn't bother me. It was really the classroom dynamic that was like night and day. I mean, in undergrad, my professors, it was very calm. I felt calm in class. Now in my big lecture classes in undergrad, I wasn't the student, I was never the student that raised my hand a lot, but I, you know, I did all my homework. I loved writing my papers. It's interesting because I spoke a lot in my language classes. I wasn't afraid or scared to speak out loud and volunteer a lot in a foreign language. I didn't worry about looking Spanish. I mean, that was kind of the point of, so I, I was a very good language student speaking Italian, French, um, Russian, not oh, we wow. spent a whole semester on the alphabet, so I didn't get very far in yeah. Russian. <laughs> yeah. But when I got to law school, you know, you're in these big lecture classes with 80 students, and I felt like everyone understood this new language or had this secret code to this new language of law, and I had no idea what was going on. Ooh, and ooh. I have a very robust blushing response, which I, when I get nervous, I blush, I turn beet red which I write about in the books. And my professors that first week or two of law school were cold calling people, just, you know, no notice. That had never happened to me in undergrad. And I was completely substantively prepared for my law school classes. I'd done all the reading. I joke with my students. I had highlighter ink all over my hands from staying up (laughs) all night, you know, highlighting my textbooks, my case books. Now, did you have I'll, multiple colors? Did you have multiple I colors of highlighter, like, you know, rule and facts and all that sort of thing? Definitely. Yeah. The holding of the cases, totally. Sure. But I was petrified of being called on my classes. And I did get cold called and it did not go well. So law school was a, a rude awakening for me in terms of fear and and anxiety and and really just not feeling like I belong, to be totally honest with sure. you. Sure. In that first I'm curious, year. And, and I don't know if you feel comfortable, but I have a curiosity question since I went to the same school. Were there any professors that were tougher or less tough, or do you want to name names? I don't know. I mean, I don't I don't name names, but they were very they were all tough. I mean, they okay. except my legal writing professor. I have Professor Jan Levine, who's a huge mentor of mine. He's he's okay. just wonderful. He's not there, he's at Duquesne now, but I loved my legal writing class. I think because I loved the research and writing and the writing enabled me to sit and pause and think about these okay. complex subjects. Sure. Whereas in class, I felt like it was a competition to see who could act like they knew everything already. And I felt like yes. I knew nothing. I was reading yes. hundreds of pages of material and I didn't even understand these Latin phrases. and I, I did not know what was going on, especially, and I write about this, my criminal law class and my constitutional mm-hmm. law classes, those were two different semesters. I felt like it was all this abstract theory. Yes, yes. And my professors were brilliant, but I, my brain is very practical. And, and I like classes that, that were like rules and checklists of rules, like civil procedure and evidence and right. Uh, 
even tax, you know, there's a code, there's rules. Sure, sure. We got something we're working off of at least to start with. Yeah. But my brain did not function in those really abstract theoretical classes. And so I didn't do well my first year of law school in those in those particular classes at all, which scared me. I thought I was I gonna say, what did that feel like? Yeah. What what terrible. were you doing with that? As you because you've been successful. If you were in Eccles at UVA undergrad, got in UVA law, you're successful because yes. you're coming from out of state too. So what was that like to like I, not I knew I was, be? I knew I was smart um, and a hardworking student, but it, law school just was not clicking for me. And I tell this story and I've written about it a few times that for some reason, my school at the time released our small section grade first without the rest of our grades at the same time. Oh, now, now oh. my current school, we release everything at the same time, which I think is a better approach. Sounds like some wisdom, approach, yes. Because yes. you have context. But because, I mean, practically speaking, your smaller sections, your professors can grade faster. So anyway, my law school, our our law school, released our criminal law grade first. And I got the worst grade in that class I'd ever gotten in my life. I got a C plus. I'll just put it out there. I got a C plus in crime. Oh, gosh. My roommate, and to this day, I don't know why we spoke about this aloud, but she got an A plus. Oh, oh, ouch. Yeah. For three weeks until my other grades came. I cried. I I was so stressed. I was so worried that I was gonna not. I was gonna fail out of law school, and I had was I had loans, and I was never gonna get a job, and oh, you know, yeah. catastrophizing that many of us do. Well, and especially at, at at our law school, they really drilled us on it's a B mean. Don't yes. worry, everybody's pretty much gonna get some variety of B, and so well, you're like, I didn't even make that. No, I didn't. It's your that's shame city. It was total shame city. For three weeks, oh. I, went, I went home. I mean, I was home for winter break when that grade came in. I basically just hid under a blanket on my couch and then and worried about whether I was even going to go back, be allowed to go back. But OK, so yeah. then the rest of the grades came in. I did fine. I I, I was basically sure. a B student. Um, and then I pulled myself together and went back for second semester and then guess what? The same thing happened. I got oh, a C no. in constitutional law. Oh gosh. And, but you know what? I discovered that year and that well, that semester, I love again the research and writing. We got to do our first brief in legal writing. Yeah. I hated the oral argument experience for the same exact reason. I felt like no one had really taught us how to do it, but but everyone was supposed to be really excited to do it. <laughs> and I didn't want <laughs> yes. to do it at all. Um, mine went terribly. I basically blacked out. The judge told me I had developed this like hair twirling tick, nervous oh, no. tick. Oh, it was awful. oh, no. First year was a disaster for me. Yes. Here's where the story gets better. Because I'm scrappy and I, I'm a hard worker, I yeah. ended up sending out 100 resumes because I needed a summer job that paid. Okay. And this is back in the day when we used to... Do you, did you ever go to Kinko's, the copy center? Oh, heck yes. Yes. Okay. So I went to Kinko's and I printed a hundred copies of my resume on nice yep. paper. And I sent out a hundred resumes with a hundred stamps. And I got an awesome summer associate position with a boutique litigation firm in Northern Virginia. Nice. That paid amazingly well and was a brilliant training ground for- Yes. For one L's and two L's and, and graduates. And I was so excited. So my first year didn't hold me back from getting a great job, which then set me up for the next phase. 
Well, and that was especially tough too, because this is we're we're talking about the early nineties, right? Yes. I got there in ninety two, so you'd been there in ninety one, and there weren't a lot of one L opportunities then. One L uh, summer programs were not super strong. It was pretty rare, uh, and it was usually a pretty large firm as well. It would have to be, um, but yeah, I, I'm flashing back. Gosh, I'm remembering my like whatever Mac. I had like a little Macintosh, one of those square box computers, and a a printer, I didn't I don't think I had a printer. I would use a printer lab still. And so if you needed something to look actually professional, it was, you know, Kinko's uh, was was the place to go, especially if you wanted to mass produce it and have it on decent paper. So, so different from the age of PDFs and all that. Definitely. So did it, it turn out to be a good experience? Did it, it match up to what you expected? Okay. Yes. So it, the firm just happened to specialize in construction law. And I didn't know what that even meant. But, but that summer exposed me to the, the reality that it doesn't matter what kind of law you practice as long as you're excited about the actual tasks. And that so our the clients were owners and contractors and subcontractors on sure. big projects like football stadiums and baseball stadiums, and hospitals, oh, wow. power plants. So I had to learn things like how to read a blueprint and how to read engineering documents. So it wasn't just the law, but they gave us really intense um high pressure writing assignments. And that I could yeah. do. That okay. I could do. You know, I always thought that was fun. I did construction law for a good while when I was a litigator and I did enjoy getting to learn about like the science of construction, like touring a site and going, well, here's why we build the footings this way and why you go here before there and all. And I, I did find that interesting uh, for sure. Um, and so, but you had some good writing aspects of it and you were kind of able to see, hey, that's sort of the place where I really shine. Yes. And the, the firm, it, it was a medium sized firm. So it had about 50 lawyers at the time and they were very hands on in terms of training. And and I felt like even that summer as a 1L, I got really great mentoring from the partners about my writing. So yeah. then they invited me. I went back to school um, and did fine. You know, I didn't I still didn't love it, but I went back to sure. school and then I spent my second summer at the same firm and they ended up giving me an offer when I graduated. So, OK. I, I went, I took the Virginia bar exam and, and ended up working there for six years, which was a really great experience from a, a professional development standpoint. And you said earlier you had uh, grown up in Washington, but I don't know if I clarified, is that Washington state or Washington DC? Oh no, um, Washington DC. Sorry. DC. I, I, okay. I actually grew okay. up in Virginia. So I was in state for undergrad. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. No yes. way. Still, still a tough road to, uh, to, to, to navigate. So did you end up uh, going there and were you good with going back to kind of uh, where you'd grown up that area and all? I was at the time I was, I I'll just being totally vulnerable and honest on the, on the podcast. I um, was in a relationship from the time I was 18 to, I mean, okay. I met my college boyfriend when I was 18. We dated gotcha. for the two and a half years of college and all three years of my law school experience. And then we got married um, my father's a minister, so he did our wedding. <laughs> okay. Well, and you were a young student as it were, as, as it was. So you're, you're young. young. Man, that is a lot to carry as a, I'm thinking I've got three daughters, age 20, 22, and 24. And knowing where they are, I'm like, that's a lot to, it to was roll a lot. through. And it, it was, I look back on it, I can't believe how young I was in, in law school and in that type of serious relationship. Cause we, when we got married, I was 24. I just, I, I we actually got married in April of my last year at UVA. I okay. graduated, studied for the bar, started my new job as, you know, this wow. fancy law firm associate that 
that's September. Um, and then kind of fast forward, I worked for six years at that law firm and was married during that time. But okay. in my late 20s, my job uh, was so intense. And I, I, I did like a lot of my job, but I dealt with okay. a lot of kind of volatile personalities in my job too. And it yeah. took a big toll on me and my marriage fell apart. So at 29, turning 30, I ended up Ooh. moving to New York because I was going through this really traumatic relationship split, which was just terrible at the time. Well, um, yeah, and you had, had it was, for a third of you'd had it for a third of your life by that. Twelve point. years, yeah. Twelve years. If I'm years, doing the math, yeah. Basically, so more that's, than a third of my life with this person yeah. that I loved. In, I loved him very much, and he was such a huge part of my life. But it was my sort of my uh, doing that that we were splitting up. So it was, it sure. was a lot of shame and guilt and stress yes. and anxiety, and, uh. and I felt like a failure. And I was leaving, so I left everything. I left my house and all that, but also my job that I was I was a you know a good associate. I worked really hard. Yeah. So and getting close, life, getting close to partner, I would think. Yes. Yeah. We had, I think back then we had like a seven year track and I was a six year associate. Um, oh my gosh. It was rough. It was not my finest. It was my worst year of my life, I will say, by I would far. Imagine. And did you pick the city first or the job first? Or how how'd you end up uh, going to New York as the place this, to sort of start over? The city for sure. I mean, I had lived in Virginia my whole life, lived in the suburbs, and I had been working okay. on a case in, in with a New York client and I wanted I needed to get out of Virginia to have just a complete break from Yeah. But it was scary because I didn't know anything about New York and yeah. I was literally leaving everything that I knew. This my husband I'd I'd known for twelve years of my life, my my parents who weren't super happy with me at the time. Yeah. My job I that I loved. I loved the partners that that raised me really as a as a young lawyer. My friends thought I had lost my mind, which I kind of had. Um well, and everything everything operates differently in New York as well. Like getting yes. a place to live. Uh, one of oh, my yes. children lives there now. Another one's probably going to end up there. And getting a place to live there does not work the same as anywhere else I've lived. You know, it's, it's a madhouse. Yes. <laughs> I, I joke and I write in my books about how New York kind of um, kind of kicks you around like a hacky sack. You know, those little. <laughs> yes. Oh, like, yes. You know, it kicks you around for about a year. And if you can handle it, you can handle anything. Yes. That's that's what my wife and I have said about our, our oldest child who lives there. She's a boss because yes. like, I mean, I remember going up to visit her and she's like, we're going to get on this subway. Oh, we got to get on the express. And she like <laughs> runs across the platform at the right time. And she knows exactly. I mean, I'm like, these are skills. <laughs> this is fantastic. You're getting a life education here. Because we've all made the mistake of getting on the wrong subway and ending up in Brooklyn or the Bronx. Yes, or, and, yes. and then you don't panic. You just turn around and you get right. on the right subway. You get going on the other the right side. Exactly. Or, you know, like I remember when I first used to stand on a street corner and be so confused about what was north and south. <laughs> and right. Right. cab drivers would be honking at me and I'd be like, I burst out in tears because I had no idea what I was doing. But once you get through all that, you realize nothing is a disaster. And no, you can navigate. I would say, yeah, yeah, you can navigate any city if you can navigate navigate New York. That's my experience, at least. You know, yes. in the U.S. at least. Let's keep it with that. But so, yes. what did you do? What was the job there? And what was? Did you know anybody? And what was that adjustment? Just not just the city, but to a different way of practice. I would imagine too. 
Yeah, I really, I really didn't know very many people up here at all. Um, but I did my usual thing. I sent out, uh, well, first I had spoken with the partners at my first firm to see if they wanted to open a New York office. And they kind of laughed and said, you're a six-year associate and no, we're not opening an office for you. I sure. mean, they were very gracious and wonderful, but they're like, okay, you need to move on. <laughs> I like the ask though. I like the yeah. gutsiness of that ask. That is scrappy. I'm, I'm impressed. So because I... I, you know, needed a job. Um, I had no money. I was, I needed to find a place to live. I needed everything. So I did what I usually do. I sent out a hundred resumes again. Wow. And I think at this point I was emailing, so I didn't have to go to Kinko's and print my resumes. Sure. Sure. But I did send out a hundred and I, the girl with two C pluses on her transcript, I got a job in big law. Um, wow. I, I was so surprised and pleased and it just happened to be a firm that was in the World Trade Center because this was in 2000. And so okay. I got my job at, uh, it was on the 39th floor of Tower 2. Oh my and, goodness. And I started the job in October, I think October of 2000. So. Wow. Okay. Yes. So we, we, we there might be an element coming up here that yes. we can sort of see coming. <laughs> um, yes. Build us up to that though. Okay. So what was it like at that new firm and kind of reinventing uh, did you watch the show Reinventing Anna at all? Um, I haven't. I haven't, but my friend has watched it. And so, yes. Um, I want I want to write, write a story about this called Reinventing Heidi, because that's basically what you <laughs> I've did. I've reinvented sort of. myself, I think, six times. And I think I'm <laughs> I'm on the verge of doing it again. But so, that's good. Okay. So, um, yes. So I started the, the job at the firm. It was not a construction firm. I was doing a lot of banking, law, a lot of research, still a lot of writing, which was great. Sure. Emotionally, I was not doing very well. I, you know, I was still going through the trauma of of the divorce process, which is terrible and awful. Yes. And I was adjusting to New York. This was still in the first year of my adjustment to New York. So I was worried I'd made a mistake because everything was just so hard and I didn't feel like I was very good at anything. Oh, but, yeah. You had to be battling that thought a lot, I would imagine. Yes. So, and I also, I had come from the firm, which I, I shared, you know, I loved working at my first firm, but I did work with some really intense, volatile personalities at times. Sure. And at the new firm, I also had one of the partners would scream and yell a lot. He, he was really oh. smart and intense, but he also had a bad temper. And I nice. would, I would listen to this and I would flinch. I found myself flinching a lot. I was so stressed. And I would—I remember looking out the windows of my World Trade Center office at the Statue of Liberty. I could barely see it, but I could see it. <laughs> I could see sailboats floating around the statue. And I, and I just, I remember looking back and thinking, I just wish I was on one of those because oh, I was wow. so stressed and anxious and sad and, and under this blanket of shame and all, you know, all the things. And so I wasn't doing very well. So And, and this up, was not what you needed. This was not a nurturing, hey, let's take care of you. You're going through some stuff. Don't worry, we got you. This was like, well, good for you, but yes. you, know, you got to swim. I mean, in Gosh. their defense, they didn't really know what I was going through because I didn't tell a lot of people, but um, sure. it wasn't, it was a, it was big law. It was intense and high expectations and and all of that. So and can we can we pause for just a second? I just want to underscore that because I think that's powerful. You were going through a lot of stuff. Of course, you're not broadcasting. Hey, my life is just turned upside down and all, and and I feel all this. But isn't that an important moment for anybody who's listening, who's an employer, who brings on a new person, whether it's a lateral or a new person? 
you don't ever know exactly where somebody is when they come in. You know what they have presented and how you've seen them in some context, but they could have a boatload of stuff going on. It would it would seem like it would behoove us to to be mindful of that, to be aware. Can't just start barking at people and, you know, jump, run, do this. You don't know what they're enduring, especially starting out. Is that fair? That is fair. And and I love that you said that because I, I had, I finally had a moment like that with, with that intense partner I was describing. I, I worked at the firm for about 10 months. So leading into the summer-ish or mid-summer of, um, of that year, and I was still just not functioning very well. And the partner got really angry at me over something there were always little things like I stapled a document the wrong way. <laughs> oh, Nothing substantive. You were parallel to the top. You were angled or something. Right. Or, but he got really upset over something, and I remember I I blushed because that's what happens to me. And he said something like, "You need to make this job your number one priority." And I said, for the first time in my life, I actually said. It's not. I am my number one priority. Ooh. And at first he didn't know how to take that. And then I just started, I may have actually started to cry, but I, I, I said, look, I'm going through this really awful divorce situation. It's, I'm having a hard time with it. I'm really sad. I'm, I'm grieving it. It's, I feel trauma. Yes. He, yes. To his credit, he sat down and I think what you described earlier, he realized I've never, I've never known what this, this young woman is wow. going through. I need to ask her. And he did. And he talked to me about the fact that he'd gone through divorce and it's really terrible and embarrassing and awful. And, and so we had a really good conversation and yes. then he helped me realize that I could take a, a short leave, what I thought was going to be a short leave of absence from the firm to really just grieve and and then yes heal, heal from what i had been going through make space for you to be a person yes. and to actually let all that stuff actually have a place to land i mean when you put in the how do you, i'm thinking of like if you took a stress factor score during that time yes. frame like there's not a box you're not ticking really exactly. as far as the things that are absolute nightmares for stress for depression for anxiety all this stuff uprooting major relationship, new job, new, yes. I mean, I don't know what else you could pile on except for devastating illness. And you may have had somebody with in your family with that too. I don't know, but what a powerful moment um, that he did listen at some point, eventually, you know, it you didn't did. start that, but gosh, oh, if people listening, get that idea to know how transformational that was, because it sounds like it, 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 it at least changed the dynamic pretty substantially. It absolutely did. And, and I needed I didn't know that it was okay to ask for time to, to take care of myself. Yeah. And an even more poignant reality that came out of that was, so that was around July-ish of 2001. Right. And so I was taking my time to get, get myself together and, and work on myself. And I started seeing a therapist at the time, doing a lot of reading, oh, doing a ton of writing too. I was reflecting on everything that I'd been through. Like and journaling started, journaling to process some of this kind of stuff? Yeah. Yes. Lots of journaling, lots of memoir-ish kind of writing, which I'd never done before. And I made some friends in Manhattan, some girlfriends that summer, and they invited me to go on a trip. And and so I said, yes. And, and I had but because their trip was already booked and I booked mine kind of last minute, I 
book this flight on frequent flyer miles. And, and so we had different different itineraries. Right. And so you had less choice in when you were going. You had to kind of take yes. what the flyer miles would get you. Yeah. So I'll never forget this, if you don't mind me telling this part of the story. Please. No, no. September, I remember it. September 9th of 2001, I was... I remember sitting on the balcony of uh, a hotel in Greece and there was this ferocious wind happening. And I, I remember I had blankets wrapped around me and I was alone. It was just me because yeah. my friends had left and I was sitting on this balcony and this wind was hitting my face and I'm looking out over this dark Aegean sea. It was beautiful, but, but kind of a little ominous, but beautiful. Yeah. And I remember feeling like, okay, everything is going to be okay. You're, you're going to be okay. <sighs> oh, wow. You're going to figure out life and you're going to forgive yourself for for everything and you're going to move on and you're going to be a great lawyer, et cetera, et cetera. The next night, September 10th of 2001, I spent oh, the night in the Athens airport because I, I was I was 30 at the time, but I was, or no, I was 31 at the time and I was still kind of naive to traveling. So I forgot to make a hotel reservation. So I sleep, <laughs> I slept on a oh, bench gosh. in the Athens airport. I bored oh, a no. flight. I board a flight to Frankfurt to, to fly home to to, yeah. to America, and my flight got diverted to Gander, Newfoundland in Canada because 9-11 happened during my flight. Yes, yes. So I was not in that building that day, thankfully, because I took a leave of absence because that partner facilitated that for me. And while my experience in Gander was also pretty life-changing, I realized how lucky I was that uh, yeah. because I needed to take care of my mental health, I wasn't in the building. And thankfully, my law firm, we didn't lose anybody that terrible okay. tragic day, thankfully. Um, but what a what a life-learning lesson for me that I wasn't yes. there and I was on a different plane. And the Gander experience was just mind blowing as well. well and so, I, I want to ask you about that in a minute, but Heidi, that has got to be one of my favorite stories. And I'm not just BSing. That's one of my favorite stories I've ever heard because literally a moment of vulnerability on your part where you showed up and, and, and had the courage to say, Hey, I'm not, I'm not okay. And, and I'm not performing at my best and something's got to change. That takes courage, especially at that age, still, relatively new to the profession, totally new in a job that took absolute guts from somewhere within you to say, no, I'm not okay. And I'm not going to pretend. And you open yourself up and then lo and behold, there's an empathy connection point. And the guy's like, well, Hey, we got resources. We got options for that. And he even says, I've been through a divorce too. Oh crap. I know what that's like. Gosh, what a great plug for you don't even know what consequences there might be that are so good beyond just, hey, the, the human connection in and of itself is pretty darn amazing. The fact that you got on a different path, but literally it probably saved your life if you look in the sort of chain of connections, because who knows what else would happen. You might've been, if you were still trying to slide out, you might've been working, you know, right. even if nobody else was in the building or whatever, who knows? Right. I think about that all the time, that it, it just, all those different connections and moments led me to where I am now able to write about those moments. And, but if, if he hadn't listened to me and, and really taken that time to understand what I was going through and, and also share what he was going through, because I had judged him. I had, yes, for the 
you know, ten, nine, 10 months I worked with him, I completely judged him in a certain yes. way and didn't even realize who he was under that layer either. Yes. Well, that's one of the things I've loved about. So my background, you know, just a little bit about, and I don't go on to about it too much here on this podcast, but I've been doing continuing legal education presentations for about for 15, 16 years now, actually. I think we just celebrated. And one of the things that we love, we try to get conversations going in the room. And part of what we want to catalyze, we can't make it happen, but we certainly want to create the context for it, is for people to have that kind of conversation like, oh, wait a minute, you're, you're more than what I thought. I thought you're just my opposing counsel or you're just this person at this firm or in this role. But when people get to know each other on a more human level, it is so fun to watch what happens to their dynamic, what happens to how they work professionally. Um, and in law, it, you don't always get that. There's sort of this professional distance, depending on where you work in, in, in different environments. And I love moments like that uh, because they are such game changers. I mean, for you, it probably is a game changer for him as well. He was like, I was kind to this you know, young associate today. And boy, I'm glad I was. I wonder when I'm missing those opportunities. You know, <laughs> it's huge. So I want to ask you one more question. This is going to be uh, like the greatest cliffhanger to, to episode two, because we're going to need episode two, because there's still more uh, places to go with where your career went. But speak for a minute. So were you basically part of the crew of people that the musical Come From Away is about? The people who ended up on that island? Yes. So my plane was one of 39 planes. I believe that's the correct number. 39 planes and 6,000 passengers grounded in, in Gander, Newfoundland. And the, the oh beautiful Broadway show Come From Away is about that experience because the Canadians, we, we weren't the airlines, we, we weren't allowed to take our luggage off the plane. Okay. And they... So the Canadians, I slept on the floor of a of a middle school. The Canadians brought us toothbrushes and clothes. Oh my god! I still have some of the clothes that that they gave us, t-shirts and and oh my gosh! And, and uh, they fed us for. I was there for five days, and everything in that show is completely accurate. We we had wow. even even to the point I had to fly back to Germany to get back in the U.S. because the airspace was closed. Right, um, right, right. Five days of Canadians just opening their hearts and. Oh, wardrobes wow. and pantries and, and restaurants for us. It was incredible. That is unbelievable. And Heidi, I, I've known sort of that story and I've had so many people rep recommend that musical. My family and I love Broadway musicals. I have a daughter who's in theater school or a child who's in theater school. And I've heard that's one that's been on my radar to see, but I don't think I knew until you just said that. I didn't realize there were 39 planes, 6,000 people. I thought, oh, three or four flights that got diverted. Okay. That's a whole like event, it basically. Is. It's incredible. Wow. And they mobilized so quickly. We, the planes were kept, we were, all the passengers were kept on yeah. the plane for about 10 hours, I believe, before we were allowed off the plane. Yeah. Um, and then they brought school buses to take us to the, the schools and churches. And they put the um, pilots and the crew up in the hotels, but there weren't enough hotels because there were so many passengers. So it was really schools oh, wow. and churches and people's homes. Oh my gosh. Incredible. Okay, I've got to see the music now, uh, the musical now that is escalated on my uh, to do list because I kind of just didn't know it was that substantial. And now that I know somebody who was there, I'm like, oh, my friend <laughs> experienced that, you know, uh, I'm super excited about that. Um, so I want to pause this there because I think this is about uh, the length of our, our first episode. Um, and when we come back for episode two, folks, you won't want to miss it because the beautiful thing about Heidi's experience is she's gone on to tell these stories and to be a really uh, proactive voice for 
folks who experience law school differently, folks who experience transition to practice differently. Uh, we're going to get to her books and her teaching and where she is now. So you're going to want to join us for episode two. For now, uh, we'll see you then. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Thriving Lawyers Podcast. We love hearing from our loyal listeners, so please feel free to email us any questions, comments, suggested topics, or guest recommendations at the following address, feedback at thrivinglawyerspodcast.com. The Thriving Lawyers Podcast is brought to you by Real-Time Creative Learning Experiences, a national provider of continuing legal education and professional development programs that leave participants engaged, encouraged, and equipped to pursue meaningful and sustainable change in their practices, their lives, and the organizations they work in. And by Osborne Conflict Resolution, your experience guides through the uncharted terrain of business and family law disputes based out of Charlotte, North Carolina. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Thriving Lawyers Podcast.